Power Users, episode 138, Syncing and Sharing. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside with David Sparks. Hey, David. Hello, Katie. So, syncing. We did that in episode four. It wasn't that long ago. Nothing's really changed. <laughs> four years ago. <laughs> oh my Do you realize this is our four-year anniversary blog of uh, podcast anniversary? It was this. It was the end of this month, though, wasn't it? I don't remember. It, it was, was a the, long time ago. I remember it was May, though. It was May. Yeah. Because we met, we started we, talking about it in January, and it took us five months to get our act together. We're a little slow. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. But I, I went back and we started saying, you know, maybe we should go back and revisit some of those early episodes that we did because some stuff might have might have changed. And uh, episode number four was all about syncing. And um, we, we talked about syncing with Mobile Me extensively in that episode. And iTunes or iTools and Dot .Mac. Yeah. I, I, I think, don't think we talked about Mobile Me. I think we talked about Dot .Mac. I'm pretty was sure. Was it .Mac? I don't know. Yeah. But, I, but I bet there are many people listening to this podcast who don't know what Mobile Me was. Yeah, and even fewer that know what dot .mac was. I have the dot .mac I think it was email. dot .mac, yeah. And my, my personal email is, you know, at dot .mac or mac.com. Yeah. And it's a total vanity URL now. I keep it because it makes me feel like I'm a cool nerd because I still have the mac.com in my email address. Well, you know, I got mine back when it was iTools. Yeah. So, but but we digress. So we're going we're gonna to talk all about syncing and sharing things between your various devices. Uh, but before we do, we have a little uh, we have a little housekeeping to do. Yes, uh, starting with the brand new MacPowerUsers.com website. Uh, remember John Chandler, who was on our show to talk about uh, WordPress and some of the other stuff he was doing. Yeah, we were so impressed by him and the things that he was doing with WordPress. Shortly after that show, we we called John up and said, you know, hey, we've been thinking about revamping the Mac Power Users website, and we were kind of going back and forth with what we were going to do with it at the time, and could you help us out? And he did, and he had some really great ideas, and I am just absolutely thrilled with the results. Yeah, so you can go check it out. I mean, we've always got our stuff at 5x5.tv slash MPU, uh, but long before, you know, we came to the network, we had this MacPowerUsers.com website, and it looked like a four-year-old website. So we did a little yep. work on it. It looks nicer now. I really like the way it displays the old shows. Uh, so if you want to go back and find an old show, it makes it easier to find them and, and listen to them, which kind of leads to our second point that we wanted to follow up on. Yeah, we had a little bit of an issue. You may have noticed um, last week with our RSS feeds when our Aisha Tyler show came out. She was just so full of awesomeness and and packed full of knowledge that she broke our RSS feed. Isn't that what happened? Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what happened. Um, so we called her and she fixed it, and it was fine. No, I'm just kidding. Um, because Mac Power Users has been going on for 138 episodes now, our RSS feed has gotten a little bit big with all these detailed show notes and all. And we, we ran into a little bit of trouble, um, completely unrelated to the website design. It, it was just coincidental. Um, so what we've ended up having to do temporarily to get the, the feeds aflowing, and that was why your, your show was delayed last week, is we've ended up truncating our RSS feeds. And thanks to Dan and the crew over at 5x5 for hopping right on that and getting things flowing again. He had to actually rewrite code for, for his backend CMS special just for Mac Power users. So um, thank you very much for doing that. Um, but I think you'll only see the last 100 episodes now 
in the um, when you subscribe with iTunes or Downcast or Instacast or whatever podcatcher you're using, it's not going to go all the way back to show zero. It's it's only going to go back a hundred episodes. Um, just just because that feed was getting too big and and too unmanageable and it was causing problems. At yeah. some point, oh go ahead. So technically, what really happened was when we started, we used FeedBurner, which at the time was a really cool company. And uh, I don't even think it was owned by Google at that point. I think they were independent. And then yeah. eventually they got acquired by Google. And FeedBurner has a limit as to how big your RSS feed was. And we just happened to, to discover that limit just as the Aisha Tyler show went live. So yeah, apparently the limit is uh, 512K and we were at 508 last week and we got pushed over this week. So um, we've got a temporary solution. We're going to switch over to a new RSS feed, uh, maybe just put it over to the 5x5 five five one, but we want to make sure we do it in a way that doesn't cause people who have already subscribed to lose the subscription. And Dan tells us that that is um, nearly impossible, that people, you always lose subscribers when you make a transition like that. So we're researching further. Uh, we're going to do it at some point in the next two or three months. When we do it, we're going to give you plenty of warning in case you lose your subscription to us, you can go sign up again. And if anybody out there has detailed knowledge of this problem, give us a note. We're always looking for help on these things. Yeah, and, and apparently FeedBurner will let you redirect and permanently redirect your feed. And and that's that process, in theory, should work to transition everybody over. The, the problem is, in, in practice, it doesn't work to transition everybody over because there's some specific... Um, RSS uh, readers and specifically podcatchers that that don't obey that uh, redirection that that FeedBurner issues. So at the end of that 30-day redirection that FeedBurner provides, those feeds will stop updating if if that podcatcher perhaps wasn't built in a way to to honor those those redirect requests. So um, Dan's got a lot of practical experience with this. Says, yeah, in theory the redirect should work, but in in practice it doesn't always work. So if, if someone's actually got some practical experience with how to do this and not lose any subscribers, um, drop us a line and, and and let us know. But yeah, we do just to just to stave off all the people who say, oh, you know, you can redirect your feed from FeedBurner. Yeah, we do know that. It's just um, from a practical standpoint, it, it doesn't always work as well as it should. When you get into the nitty gritty of this stuff, I'm kind of like that monkey in the popcorn machine. You know, it just holds onto the handle and just keeps cranking. That's <laughs> just, about my just, level. Just crank out the shows, David. That's all the people want. Um, speaking of which, you know, it's so fun getting on the mic with you, Katie. I had a, I'm just dealing with just buckets and buckets of crazy. But uh, I was driving home today thinking, I can't wait to talk about syncing. And let's get, let's get going on it. Because it really has changed a lot since episode four. Um, and I wasn't kidding when I said we were talking about .Mac before. Just think about how much the world has changed. And I think the discussion really has to start with iCloud. Because iCloud for Mac users and iOS users is supposed to be the end-all be-all for our syncing problems, right? Well, that was that was really it at, the, at WWDC two years ago. I think it was Steve Jobs' last WWDC. He came out and he introduced iCloud. And I think he really acknowledged to the developers, we get that there have been problems with um, our implementation of cloud services in the past. We get that MobileMe and .Mac before that wasn't perfect, but we've we've really got this figured out with iCloud. And I think they have figured out a lot of this stuff with iCloud, but I, I think you, you see these notes by developers that there's, there's still some things that, that need to be resolved. So there's a lot of good and a lot of bad, and I think a lot of misconceptions about iCloud because... I know, especially even when I'm at my Mac user group meeting, 
I get questions all the time about some, you know, from novice and perhaps more beginning users about iCloud and what it is and what it does and where those documents go when they save them to iCloud. And is it a backup or is it not? And there are a lot of questions out there about what it is. Well, I think that's kind of the beginning is iCloud is a term applied to several different services relating to cloud computing. And some of them work great and some of them don't. And when you use the generic term iCloud, you immediately pull up whatever you love or don't love about it. So I think we should probably get our arms wrapped around some of the things you can do with iCloud. I mean, the first one, probably the simplest, is is state sync. You know, syncing, if you're playing Angry Birds and you go to a different Angry Birds game on a different device, does it remember where you left off? And that would be a sync. I think they call it key value store, where a developer can say, I want to record, you know, how many pieces of gold this person has, or I want to record record what level they were on, or how many uh, things they've unlocked. In fact, like, um, what's the one I love so much, the little tower defense game everybody talks about? No, no, don't play games. There's one that I do play, I have to admit. But I tell it's you, called, I did I did get um, Angry Birds Star Wars when it was the free app of the week at Starbucks a couple weeks ago. Yeah, and I, I got I, that. I have been playing that. So Field Runners 2. Field Runners okay. 2. I, I like that one. And it's it syncs the state. So when I get three stars on a level on my phone and then I go log on my iPad mini, it'll show up the three stars. So that's a state sync. And that's that's a very simple synchronization as far as I've been able to tell, that stuff just works. And I think that's a generally good experience for iCloud. Developer wants to have a way to make it easy to share a bit of information between different versions of the app, and it does that just fine. Um, another one is document sync. And this is the thing that you and I are always you know, rambling on about when we talk about some of our favorite apps. Uh, Byword is one, PDF Pen. Is another like PDF pin. If you have a document on your iPad and you've got on your Mac, it's using the document sync portion of iCloud to sync those documents. Now, every time I talk about it on the show, I get an email from someone saying, well, you know, I'm not getting the iCloud document syncing to work just right for me. I, I have had issues with it. Um, and it, it's bizarre. I, I, I don't know what's going on, but I, I've had issues with it on my Mac mini at work from time to time. It, it works pretty regularly on my Mac at home and my iPhone and things like that. But there's a series of terminal commands that um, that I was shared with me by our, our good friends who make ByWord, and and that usually clears me out. But it basically clears out your iCloud backup and and and, and saves backups of those documents and stuff. But I have had issues with it. Okay, so I haven't, but I know that some people do. So that's not a perfect implementation of iCloud. And the whole idea of the document sync, I think, is really great because the way it works is. You just the synchronization just happens. So when you open Byword, and I, I keep using that one because it's one I use every day, yeah. uh, the the files are just there. I mean, I I can't tell you how many times a day I open that that application, and that's been true now for probably a couple years. I don't know, however long they've been on iCloud, and I open it on my Mac, and I open it on my iPad, and I open it on my iPhone, and the synchronization just happens, and the files show up. So I get these text files everywhere. I don't have to go to Dropbox. I don't have to push a sync folder button. I don't have to pull down a file. It just it just happens. So and you've, a, you've never seen it where it just is grayed out and says waiting, waiting, waiting? Um, I, occasionally, I guess if I have them open on two different devices at once, 
I will see it where it will scroll to the top. Like there's a, a running billing file I keep. And once in a while, I'll have them open in both places. And, and because I'll be sitting somewhere like at my standing desk, I'll be using my iPad and just adding billing entries. And at the same time, I've been adding them on my Mac over at a desk. And then I'll go over and I'll see the, the Mac on the desk will scroll to the top. But I, I have just not had an issue with this. So I've been really fortunate, I guess, or living right or whatever. Maybe mine has extra unicorn tears in it. But, that must be it. But if they can make this work, and at least with Bioword, it's worked for me. And frankly, largely, it's worked for me with PDF Pen as well. It's a really great feature because as users, we don't have to have that extra layer of interaction. We just open an app and we continue where we left off. And it's, I think, it's a, it's a really great kind of vision for syncing. The downside is you've got to have compatible apps on multiple platforms. Uh, so you've got to have a company like Smile that can put out a PDF app on all three platforms. Or you've got to have a company... Uh, that like the one that makes Byword and wants to put out a a text app for the uh, Mac and one for the iOS and one for the iPhone. I mean, there are other text editors out there on the iPad that I like in some ways better than uh, Byword. Like Writing Kit comes to mind. It's such an amazing app, but they don't have a Mac app, and I want the ability to jump between them very quickly. So, so that you know, given those parameters, if you've got a uh, if you're willing to use just Apple technology. Um, and you've got a really great solution for document syncing. And I think iCloud scratches that itch. I don't think it's perfect or I would never hear from anybody complaining about it, but I think it's, it's definitely an alternative vision for doing this stuff that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And there are, there are other pieces about it and photo sync, which, um, do you want to talk about that now? Or we can talk about that a, a little bit later and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it later, but yeah. I mean, the, the big problem is database sync. Mm. So let's say, you know, go beyond a few Byword documents. Let's talk about um, Yojimbo, right? Oh, yeah. You sound ominous. Are you okay? Well, I loved Yojimbo. And uh, they used MobileMe as their sync background for a long time, didn't they? And it, it worked really well. And then MobileMe went away and they tried Dropbox and... And Dropbox was kind of, it, it worked, but it like worked if you didn't have it open. And if you had it open in two places, like really bad things would happen potentially. And there would be problems and there was work around. You had to do sim links and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So, so, so Yojimbo, if you don't know, was kind of an everything bucket app. It was, I it think was, the, it was before Evernote. It, I mean, at least oh yeah, for me. definitely. Well, I mean, it was kind of before the idea of cloud syncing. Uh, was really a big deal. And it was it's a great little app. And in fact, it's one of the reasons why I still give Evernote trouble. And I know I'm going to get email for that. But I just got used to, to the paradigms of Yojimbo, being able to drag stuff in and out. And it just felt really fluid. Yeah, you could, drag a, you could drag a text file. You could drag an audio file. You could you could play audio files from within there. You could any little snippet of information. It's, it's what made me so comfortable using Evernote at one point because I was used to that, that kind of way of thinking with Yojimbo. And it, it's not really fair to Evernote because in order to make all the syncing magic work, Evernote needs to get it in a format that can easily be read on the Internet and moved around to these various devices. So they have to do a certain level of translation. And that's where I get frustrated because now I've got I don't have what I put in. I've got what they turned it into instead. So anyway, um, but so Yojimbo's out there and and they really, in a lot of ways, uh, were the beta testers for real 
testing in dot Mac day in the dot Mac days. Cause you know, Apple at that time had a, a syncing mechanism to sync data between apps on, on different Macs using this cloud stuff of dot Mac and then later called mobile me. Uh, then they decided, Hey, we want to do this with iCloud and it really just hasn't worked for them. You've got a lot of developers coming out and saying, we would like to build this infrastructure on iCloud. We, you, especially now with this whole RSS situation with Google Reader going away, you've yeah. got a lot of people interested. Brett Simmons has been very vocal about it, saying, we want to we want to build a backend syncing, you know, Net, Newswire, we would like to, they, they built this whole syncing infrastructure and then Google Reader came out and then, you know, it's, it's kind of been this whole back and forth. And he just finally said, look, iCloud doesn't work for that. Now, John Gruber, I believe, wrote an article on this. I'm going to see if I can find it for the show notes. But he was talking about when Tim Cook was at some meeting and someone asked him, you know, why they were doing so much of this stuff in-house at Apple, you know, taking over so many pieces of it. And he says, we want to own all our key technologies. And and this is the same argument a lot of developers are using is that, you know, we want to own the syncing engine. We don't want to just give it over to Apple because then we're kind of beholden to them. And we want to be able to make changes and adjustments and things like that. Um, Apple's deal is, hey, we're happy to provide you this back-end syncing uh, through iCloud, but you're going to have to sell your app through the App Store. You can't sell it independently. And some of the apps we know and love, they have two different versions. They have the one that includes iCloud syncing, which is sold through the App Store, and the one that doesn't, that is um, that is sold elsewhere. So it's definitely a growing issue. I think the big deal with iCloud though is that when you get to database sync, it's not working. I mean, the app developers are having a lot of trouble implementing it and it's not just working. So as a result, it's not showing up in apps. We've been here for two years now and there really isn't a Yojimbo style app using iCloud syncing. Well, WWDC is coming. Do you think? Well, the the problem is it's really almost too late. People people say, okay, if Apple came back to them and said we we got it this time, I think wouldn't developers be fools just to say, okay, we believe you? I mean, well, I think I don't know. First of all, maybe they will get it, but the question becomes, do you want to turn that over to them? Yeah. You know, as I, as I as I made that statement, I was thinking there's a new app out called Together Three which looks very similar to, you know, the kind of stuff Yojimbo does. And they claim to have iCloud syncing, but I've not, I've not purchased it and not played with it, but maybe it's, it's coming along. I think it's really an issue that's up in the air. And uh, part of it in my mind is that I think Apple bit off more than it can chew. Um, they've, they've come up with a, a solution that's different. I mean, for the longest time, syncing meant um, a shared folder somewhere out there that you can access on all your devices. That started with .Mac. I mean, you had a shared folder in your .Mac space that showed up on your desktop. It, you know, this isn't rocket science. And then Dropbox did it as well. And Dropbox did it in a way that was really simple. It was just one folder. You know, it's not like a bunch of folders. Um, SugarSync is a, an example of a vendor that when from the very beginning, you could have multiple folders and change permissions. Dropbox was really simple. It's one folder, and it just always works really, really well. And so Apple's idea was, I don't want to do a simple folder anymore because that requires users to go to the folder and, and create links and pull files down. And we want to make it so users can just sync without even thinking about it. And that's that model that I was just talking about, one of the attractions I have to iCloud. Uh, it's not there, though. I, I, and 
this goes a little bit to maybe arrogance, I think, because they knew they had, a, in their mind, a better idea, but I'm not sure that they had done all the stuff at the back end to make this really happen. I mean, we've heard about all these server farms Apple's building, but when you think about Apple, you think about a company that makes really cool-looking phones and a company that makes really great hardware and a company that does really good user interfaces and thinks about users' convenience and making devices that just work. But you don't think about Apple as a company that's known for awesome server support and cloud services. And and so part of me thinks they said they thought, okay, we've got a different way to do this. That's better than the Googles and the Amazons and everybody else that's doing this stuff. And we're just going to make it work. You know, we're going to figure a way to get that back end engine up, up and running so we can implement what we're talking about. And maybe that would work on a distribution of a thousand units or maybe even 10,000 units. But there are millions and millions and millions of people using this stuff. So if Apple's going to make it work, they've got to immediately have the same level of backup server support that Google and Amazon have been developing for years and years. And it seems to me that they just haven't done it yet. No, I don't really have anything to add. So what's that mean? You know, I think at some point this stuff is going to be a lot easier. It's just like building a website. Ten years ago, if you wanted to build a website, you had to know a lot about computers. You had to understand DNS. You had to understand RSS and FeedBurner and all this other junk. Now you want to build a website, you go get a Squarespace account. You know, it's just or Tumblr or whatever. It's just really easy. Uh, back in cloud services, that stuff is still in the early days. And the only people who can do it with the big scale are the people who have earned their stripes, you know, by watching things break. And I mean, remember uh, Twitter, remember how Twitter used to always have the fail? Well, that was like a joke. I mean, every time something important happened, Twitter failed. And you know what they did? They hired a bunch of smart people and every time the fail well showed up, they learned something new and they build it you know, more and more secure until they've got this pretty rock solid system that serves out you know, zillions of tweets every day and, it, and doesn't seem to fail anymore. So they figured it out. I think Apple is going through that period right now. And while I do think this stuff is going to get easier, I don't think Apple has 10 years to figure this out. If they can't get it figured out, people will go somewhere else. No, and the problem that Apple has is people expected Apple to be able to figure it out overnight because Apple has seemingly unlimited money and unlimited resources that if you just throw and, – and I think this is proof that you can't just throw enough money and smart people at a problem and, and make it overnight. Yeah. You well, I, I, I think it's a big deal, and I, I hope that Apple is taking it as seriously as uh, they should be. Um, but I also don't think iCloud is a complete bust either. No, there's there's a lot of things that, that iCloud is great for. I mean, it's great for syncing certain types of data. Um, you know, for example, I've never, ever had a problem with contacts, calendars, reminders, all of those types of data that I sync back and forth between my iPhone, my iPad, and, and my Mac. And we'll occasionally hear from a listener that does, but with the, you know, with the numbers of people listening to this show, it's a remarkably small number of people that we hear from when we talk about this stuff. 
Right. And, and how awesome is that to just have all of that stuff magically? You get a new Mac and it downloads and it's there. You get a new iPhone, you, it downloads and it's there. Um, I've used iCloud backup and restore. Right, you know, I, I use the backup regularly. Thankfully, I've only had to use the restore a couple of times and was just amazed at, at how well that worked. Sure, it's a little bit slow. I mean, it's as, as fast as your your download connection and as fast as the Wi-Fi will go. But, oh my gosh, to have... go sitting there with an iPhone with absolutely nothing on it and type in your iCloud ID and and your password. And then all of a sudden your iCloud starts, your phone starts populating with all of your data as though you synced it this morning. How cool is that? I know we just, I just had that experience a few weeks ago with uh, my daughter, her phone shattered. So we brought it in had the Apple care. Thank goodness. Got her a new one, typed in her iCloud account and her phone looked the same when we left the Apple store. Yeah. So th- there are some things to like about it. I think the database sync problem is a big one. I don't I don't think it's going to be easy to solve. And then the overarching theme of this is, is Apple, are they biting off more than they can chew? Are they unable to deliver on this promise of syncing this iCloud sync without requiring any user interaction? I don't think they're going to give up on it. I hope but not. Part- but part of me makes wonders, you know, what if they try to do kind of like the Dropbox model and just say, we're just going to have a, a, a folder on your computer and and that's going to be an easily addressable folder and software developers can know that they can have access to that for sharing data for their apps or their databases or whatever. And it's not going to require um, Apple to work quite as hard to do all the backend stuff that may be a little bit harder on the software developers because they'd have to write their own code. But, you know, I, I could see them doing something like that. But I also think just this whole experience of waiting two years has got a lot of developers kind of leery about it. Well, and, and that's one of, I think, the biggest misconceptions about iCloud is that People have gotten used to this Dropbox model where it's just, for lack of a better word, this bucket that you put thing you, you put anything into. You put a PDF in there and you can open it with any PDF program you want. You want to put a text file in there. You can open it with any text file you want. Um, but iCloud is not a bucket. iCloud is, is very application specific. So a text file doesn't sync with all of your text editors. It just syncs with the specific one that you created it with. Um, it's, it's, it's very application specific. And that's an, another common misconception I think is, is where are your documents when they're in iCloud? I think it's easier to get a grasp on when, when you're dealing with it in the iOS environment, but I just, I was trying to explain iCloud to a, a Mac user who I just recently upgraded to 10.8 and they were in trying to explain, they use pages for a lot of things. Well, if you save things into iCloud, you can access them on your, on your iPad and your iPhone. And he really liked that idea, but he must have called me a little bit older gentleman must have called me, you know, three or four times after I initially set him up saying, well, wait, wait a minute. I I saved this thing to iCloud and it's gone. And I said, no, no, remember you have to click that when you, when you go to the open dialog box, you have to click that little, that little file tab over there that says iCloud. It's not on your Mac anymore. Um, because the file, it, it can't be in two places at once. It's not both on your Mac and on iCloud. And Apple has really segregated those buckets. A file is is really either, it, it can't be in your documents folder and in iCloud. It's either on your Mac or it's in iCloud, which is, it, is problematic from a file storage standpoint for me. And secretly it is on your Mac. And there it, it are is, but we weren't going there. Get, yeah, there are tricks to get to it, but I, I think that kind of defeats the purpose. If you're going to do that, just use Dropbox. So I, 
I don't really know where all this is heading. I think it's going to be really interesting for a couple of years to see how this develops. I think Apple is going to get better at these cloud services, and I think they are going to make adjustments. One of the things I think would be a good solution, and I don't know who came up with this idea first. I know Lex Friedman has talked about it. I watched him talk about it at Macworld. But I think it goes back to the original release of Dropbox, and and that's the idea of putting out an iCloud app. You know, why do we have to have your data segregated to certain uh, matching apps? You know, what if you wanted to have just an iCloud app that exposed the files in your iCloud storage and allowed you to send them somewhere else? Uh, so you could take a PDF from the iCloud app that's syncing through iCloud and open it in a different PDF app or a text file and share it to a different text app. And that would be a solution that would allow Apple to kind of keep the existing infrastructure and give users a little bit more flexibility or for those who wanted it. It wouldn't even have to be a mandatory app. Um, I, I don't know. As we record this, it's May. Next month is WWDC, you know, the Worldwide Developer Conference. And I suspect Apple's going to have something to say about iCloud because it's, I don't think it's any secret that developers are, are kind of perplexed by all this. Yeah. Um, I tell you... The one area of iCloud that I've been really impressed with, and I want to talk about a little bit more, is photo syncing, because I think that's a really underutilized area of iCloud that that a lot of people could be using more. But before we talk about photo syncing, I do want to take a quick break and talk about our first sponsor for this episode, and that is Unclutter. And Unclutter is an app that we talked about, I think, first on our utilities um, episode, a couple of episodes back. I've been using Unclutter for uh, probably a couple of months now since it was first released. It's made by the same team that makes Daisy Disk, which is another one of our favorite apps. And Unclutter, I don't really know even how you describe it, but it's really simple. It's an app that you, you launch in, at, at startup, and it has a menu bar component that you can either show or hide if you don't want to keep a bunch of stuff going in your menu bar. But it's an app that kind of sits up above your menu bar. And so either with a keyboard combination or I've got mindset to a, a mouse com- um movement or from a trackpad. Yeah. Well, mine's not a gesture because mine's a mouse, but what I do is I roll my mouse up to the very top of the screen and pull my, um, pull my trackpad down. And what it does is it opens up three different panes that just pull down. And one of them is a file storage pane. One of them is a notepad and one of them is a clipboard shows you the contents of your clipboard. And so what this is, is it's just a little temporary storage place where you can throw things and keep your desktop nice and uncluttered, for lack of a better word. What a, what a neat name for the app. So you can, if you've got a file that you're, you're messing with and you want to have easy access to, but maybe you don't want it cluttering up your desktop, you can throw it in there. If you've got a, a quick note that you want to take because maybe you're on the phone with somebody or something you need to remember, um, something that you, you don't want to put in the notes app or you're not quite really sure where it goes, you can throw it in the notepad. Um, it will also show you the contents of your clipboard, and you can even edit the contents of your clipboard in there so you can make changes and put them somewhere else. You can move these panes around. If you don't need a certain pane, like say, hey, you, you know, I don't really ever need the clipboard pane, you can remove them. And uh, here, here's a tip. What, what I have done is I like to keep a nice, clean desktop. So you can, you can specify where these files are stored when they go into Unclutter. So I've set up a special folder inside my Documents folder. I think I called it something generic like In Progress. That uh, links up to my Unclutter folder up in my menu bar. And so I've set up a Hazel rule that if something's been on my desktop for more than two hours since it was last modified, it it goes up in into my unclutter menu and it gets saved to that that Dropbox folder in my 
in my Dropbox folder. And uh, so I, I keep a nice clean desktop unless it's something that I'm, I'm actively working on. So it only took us 30 minutes to talk about Hazel. That's what you're telling me. Pretty much. Yep. Hazel. <laughs> do, do we have a Hazel drinking game too? <laughs> we should. We, we should. should. Anyway. Yeah. So, um, a, yeah. And clutter is a great app and the, uh, they've really, they came out with the 1.2 update recently, uh, making everything a little bit easier to use and more customizable. And like Katie, I've started using it too. And I, I like it, use it every day. So I thought that that idea with the Hazel rule is really clever, by the way, Katie. Thank you, thank you. So Unclutter is available in the Mac App Store. It's four ninety nine and uh, worth every penny for me. So uh, you can find more information at unclutterapp.com, or there's a link in the show notes that will take you directly to buy it in the Mac App Store. And thanks to the folks at Unclutter for sponsoring Mac Power users. So you wanted to talk about photo sharing with iCloud. I do want to talk about photo sharing because, you know, it's um, we, we just had Mother's Day not too long ago. And this is something that I was talking about at the at the breakfast table. And everybody in my family, they've, they've all been trained very well. They all have their iPhones. We had a lot of mothers there with iPhones. And they were showing pictures of their kids, pictures of their dogs, pictures of this, pictures of that. And um, my grandparents have recently gotten iPads and everybody wanted to to share these pictures and, and how they were sharing them is they were emailing them back and forth with each other. And I'm like, this, this is insanity. This is, this has got to stop. So we started talking about the idea of shared photo streams because they've all got these iCloud accounts because I've set them up with the, their devices automatically back up and things. So I started showing them what you can do is you can set up. We all we're I think we're all familiar with, with photo streams, um, and how they work on an individual basis. So you take a fic- picture, it uploads to your photo stream, and then it goes to your Mac and in the various devices where you've got photo stream enabled. So that could be an Apple TV. And that works great for personal use, just to sync up your photos and kind of back up your photos until you can get to a computer to sync them. But the other thing you can do with photo streams is you can share your photo streams. So maybe you don't want to share the photo streams of everything you've taken on your phone. In fact, I'll bet you probably don't. But maybe because we're taking more and more photos with our iOS devices, you want to share a photo stream with a select group of family members of photos of the kids or photos of the dog or photos of Mother's Day or photos of special events. You can set up individual photo streams, which, you know, think of them just as as groups that you can predefine people to share them with. If those people have iOS devices or Macs, They'll get an invite. They can share them on their photo stream. They can use them as screensavers on their Apple TVs or however they want to do them. If they don't, then you can invite them to view a, a web page with the photos. But it's a it's a nice and private way to share photos without having to put them up on Flickr and make sure you've got your privacy settings adjusted just right and put them on Facebook because I don't know that people are always going to go check that, but you know that they'll they'll check their photo stream because they've, they've always got their iPhone or their iPad on them. Yeah. This is very easy to do for non geeks. My family is the same way. Uh, We all use them now. And, and my other family members, even the people who are not super geeky are now creating their own shared photo streams. It's, it's really easy. You can do it on your phone directly. You don't even need to move the photos anywhere to pull it off. So I I'm getting invites now from family members after mother's day. So it's really nice. And uh, that's another example of where iCloud gets it right. Yeah, and then but, you can you get to keep the photos. Those photos will download to your Mac, and now you've got them. Yeah. Um, 
And just one more, one last point of clarification. As I was talking about Angry Birds, that I knew at the time, but I oh, meant dear. to come back to this. No, just Angry Birds. They just did their own syncing engine, and it's not through iCloud. Oh, okay. Um, because you know, I think that kind of illustrates the point that not everybody wants to be tied to Apple for sh- data sharing. They'd rather control it themselves. And you know, Angry Birds is is on every platform that's known to man. So why would they want to do something that just works between Apple devices? Wouldn't it make more sense to create one they can use everywhere? And uh, I get that. So, you know, it still has room to grow. And in a couple of years when we do another syncing show, maybe another four years, we'll find yeah, we'll, out. We'll that circle back around to this. We'll be laughing about the stuff we were talking about on this show because by then it'll all be different. You again. remember but, when we were talking about iCloud? Oh yeah. my gosh. How many Apple email addresses are we going to have? Anyway, anyway, so 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 let's get on to the next big player, and that's Dropbox. And uh, we did a whole show on Dropbox at one point. Uh, so yeah, that was an early one too. It was either single or or low double digits. Yeah. So Dropbox is, as I said earlier, an alternative way to sync. It's it's a folder that works on every computer, and when you install it, it installs a nice little app, and it can work on your PC or your Mac or your iOS, or your Android, or pretty much anything you can come up with. And anything you put in that folder on one computer is on the other one. I was just talking to a friend who's a a private attorney. I mean, he's a um, sole practitioner attorney. And he was having these big problems with sharing data with expert witnesses. And he called me up because he knew I was kind of geeky. And I said, get Dropbox. And he called me up in like 30 minutes. And he said that I changed his life. And he was really he was really sincere because that just solves such a huge problem for him. And Dropbox does it so good and so reliably. But I think where Dropbox really, really kills it on the iOS devices is their support for the iPad and basically iOS in general. I mean, Dropbox was to the game earlier than Apple was in terms of supporting um, in-app data sharing. So, you know, if you might remember when the iPad first came out. Apple's solution to how you sync documents on pages would be to plug your iPad into your Mac, go in iTunes and drag a file over to get it into your finder on your Mac and then work on it and then drag it back or email it to yourself. It was one of the most lame solutions I think Apple has produced in the last 10 years because it's it brought back all those old problems of having multiple copies of files and not knowing which one was in charge and uh, it was just terrible where Dropbox said okay we're going to make an API so developers on the iPad or the iPhone can call up the Dropbox storage from inside their app and save files directly to their Dropbox storage or open them directly from their Dropbox storage this was better than Apple's solution. I mean, this was before iCloud existed, of course. And and they've continued to refine that. And it's just so helpful. I mean, think about every app you use on your iPad and how much worse it would be if you didn't have the ability to save files to Dropbox. I mean, I, I, thoughts, I, can't I thoughts HD, you know, every... Every app I use that I, I save data with, with the exception of those few where I rely on iCloud, like Byword, uh, Dropbox is the only way to make it happen. Yeah, but but there there are a couple of, uh, I mean, I, I couldn't get by without Dropbox. I love Dropbox, but there, you know, there are a couple of problems with Dropbox. I mean, first off, Dropbox can get expensive really quickly. I, they, they get you in for free with a little taste with the first two gigabytes for free. But after that, it's about a hundred bucks per year. Um, it's, it's about a buck a gigabyte per year. It's ninety nine dollars per year for a hundred gigabytes. 
So, you know, and up people, until very recently, it was only 50 for 50 gigabytes for a hundred bucks. Uh, then I, then I'll go double check that pricing, but I just checked that. Um, no, 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 oh, it, oh. it is. Oh, it is. I just up until recently, I used to pay a hundred bucks and only get 50. 50. Okay. So it, it's dropped, you know, 50%. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's good. Um, but the iOS access, although it's good, it's it's great. I mean, if a third part, if a developer is going to build anything in for a third party syncing service, it usually is other than iCloud, Dropbox. Um, Dropbox doesn't necessarily have um, all of the hooks, especially in the Apple apps, and it's gotten a little bit better because you. But but the round tripping into the Apple apps is still difficult. Yeah, well, uh, Apple's not going to support Dropbox no, ever. No, there there used to be some um, some kind of w- uh, workarounds for it with like things like DropDAV and things like that. Yeah, because you can do a WebDAV sync, and then DropDAV was a service that essentially turned your Dropbox into a WebDAV server. But then you've got to pay another monthly fee for that. It, it starts to get kind of expensive and tedious very quickly. Yeah, it does. But Dropbox is really good of anything that you can, I mean, if you can get a pages document in your Dropbox, they're really good about letting you open it. I mean, just about anything you can get in Dropbox, you can open in any other app that will support it. It's just sometimes getting it back out is problematic. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's not, it's not seamless. If you want to get and a file out, you've got to go find it with the finder. And, and for the people listening to this show, I don't think that's really much of a barrier. But for a lot of people that don't listen to this show, it's a huge barrier. I mean, call up your mom or your aunt or your cousin or your brother or somebody who doesn't understand computers and say, go get something out of your Dropbox folder for me and see what they do. You know, good luck with that. There are people in my office and it just infuriates me. That you know how they open a PDF? No. They go into Word, File, Open. Yeah. Uh, you know, you've told me that before. Oh, it drives me crazy. Yeah. So, what's going to happen when you give someone like that a, um, a, a, a Dropbox account and say the folder's in Dropbox? Nothing. Nothing. That's the answer. They're never going to get to it. Yeah. Now, kind of one of the, the pros and the cons about Dropbox um, is that Dropbox was never really designed to be a true backup of your data because it's it's more of a it's, – it's really a sync service. But Dropbox does have this feature where they will keep items that have been deleted. I think it's 30 days. So it, although it's not designed to be a true backup, it can kind of serve as one in a pinch. Yeah, I was – I always get nervous when people tell me that their backup is Dropbox because that's not really a backup. That's a syncing solution. Um, The fact that anybody with access to that account can delete those files, even though you can get them back, is it's just I am very leery of calling that a a backup. I don't count Dropbox storage as a backup for me. Right, because people that you share stuff with can delete things on your computer. I mean, David, you and I have a shared Dropbox account. And we have accidentally, I've been saying, David, where, where's our, uh, where's our outline for show 138? Oh, oh, you know, it disappeared from my computer. Uh, and you'll say, oh, I'm sorry. I, I moved it to my desktop instead of copying it to my desktop. Well, yeah. when, when you do that, it, it, boom, it's gone. It disappears from my computer. I just like messing with your head, Katie. I, I'm sure that's what it is. The, um, 
so so there's Dropbox and it's expensive for not that much storage, but it's it's pretty amazing for what it does. Uh, I just can't imagine a world without Dropbox. No. I mean, I think I could get by without some of the iCloud stuff. Although I think I'm not sure I could get by without it. Without, there's just so many pieces to iCloud that there's some of I, I really I really wouldn't want to live without. And I feel the same way about Dropbox. Then there's other services like Dropbox, one of which is uh, SugarSync, which I mentioned earlier. I used SugarSync before I went over to Dropbox. In fact, I think SugarSync, SugarSync existed before Dropbox did. Mm, it was one of the early ones for sure because I used SugarSync originally as well. And it had trouble with a Scrivener file because the Scrivener files are packages. And, you know, when you use a syncing service and, and it breaks something once, you lose confidence very quickly. And Dropbox was the thing, the new thing at the time. And I switched over and I've just never gone back. Now, I keep looking at the SugarSync website and seeing that they're making all these improvements. And I suspect it wouldn't break a Scrivener file for me anymore. But I've just never felt the need to go back. I mean, I've got everything I need with Dropbox. Yeah. I mean, another thing with Dropbox is a lot of app developers are using it to sync data. Uh, for instance, text expander snippets all sync through Dropbox and 1Password data syncs through Dropbox. And uh, while 1Password also supports iCloud now, I've, I've got it in Dropbox and I don't want to mess with it anymore. Yeah, it syncs iCloud in, in version 4 through the various iOS devices. It's um, the Mac, Mac version hasn't gone to version 4 yet, so it's not, it doesn't yet support iCloud sync to the Mac yet. Yeah. And then, and, you know, following up on the point I made earlier about iCloud and owning your own technologies, you're starting to see developers say, you know what, it's really not that hard to figure out the syncing stuff on our own. And I think it's getting easier. So you're starting to see developers come up with their own syncing technologies uh, rather than relying on other people to do it, whether it be Apple or Dropbox or anybody else. And oh, I, I, I would disagree that it's not that hard. I think it's very, very hard. I think they're just realizing that the upsides to it are tremendous. Well, I think it's getting easier than it used to be. And I do think that people realize that it's worth the investment. Maybe that's the way I should put it. Yeah. And so you're starting to see that. And one of those is we saw at Macworld, uh, Omni Group, one of our sponsors, announced Omnipresence. And so they're putting together their own syncing engine that's going to be using uh, – Omni is going to have the back-end syncing. So when you open something in Omni Outliner on your iPad, it syncs over to Omni Outliner on your Mac. Or, you know, OmniPlan or all the, the various Omni applications that we know and love. And I can tell you it works pretty good. I've been – I've been playing with it. I mean, it's not out yet, but it's it's not far off either. Yeah, and we've had a lot of people say, well, well, why don't they just use iCloud? Why don't they just use Dropbox? Why don't they just use this or why don't they just use that? But, uh, you know, as we point out, that there are problems with all these services. Um, I, I've, I'm also beta testing Omnipresence, which is Omni's, Omni stuff. And um, even before Omnipresence, the OmniSync server that I've used for years to sync my Omni Outliner file, I'm sorry, my um, OmniFocus oh. files uh, has always been rock solid. Yeah. Well, and I think that the re the answer to the question of why would you do it rather than use Dropbox or Apple's iCloud is companies want to control the whole experience. When somebody calls up and says, hey, my data isn't syncing, you don't want to be in the position of saying, well, we don't know why our software is doing something right, but maybe the third party that's handling the syncing is doing something wrong and we're not really sure. 
I mean, that's not the answer you want to give to a customer. Oh, yeah. I, so many developers that I've talked to who, who do some kind of sync have said the vast majority of their support calls are related to Dropbox or iCloud or other services. And they're just like, we just have no control over it. Another good one that people are starting to look at is the Symperium sync engine. And that is a backend engine for syncing. I think mainly text. It, it arises out of that. Um, all right, Katie, I'm, I'm wigging out. What's the name of that app that we all used to use to take notes with that I haven't been using lately? Uh, um, sh- uh, Simple Note. Simple Note. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I'm so old. And I think Drafts uses the Symperium engine as well. It does. It yeah. does. Yeah, that's and pretty well. And and that works great. So it's you know there's there's solutions developing out there for syncing that just weren't there before. And like I said, as people figure out how to connect these dots, it's not going to be something that just multi-billion-dollar companies build. It's going to become something that even smaller developers, I think, have an opportunity to build. And and maybe in a couple of years, we'll kind of giggle about syncing because it'll always just work. But we're still kind of in a bit of the growing era. We are, but my gosh, it is so much better than it was even a couple of years ago when we recorded that first syncing show. Yeah, I mean, when we did the first show on it, we had to talk about, well, if you've got two Macs, how do you get the information from one to the other? And if you've got a laptop and I mean, there were so many people who would not have two Macs just because of the overhead involved with syncing. And now it's just, you know, you point it at a couple Dropbox folders and, you know, you set up a transporter and you push a couple buttons, put in your Apple iCloud ID and you're kind of done. All right. So, hey, let, yeah. You go. I was going to say, we, we've got some more stuff to talk about, but you want to talk about our next sponsor? Yes, I do. Clarify. Okay. Clarify. It's one of our newer sponsors, and I've been having a lot of fun playing with their products. So, you know, Skitch and Jing are great if you just want to share one or two screenshots. But if you want to create a step-by-step document with successive screenshots, uh, images, and then the tools that can be kind of a pain to work with because you have to use the word processor to organize the screenshot images. You have to get them placed on the screen in the right spot. You have to type in the titles and the descriptions. And if you move something, everything gets all messed up. Well, Clarify simplifies the whole process by combining screen capture and word processor functionality. So working with multiple images is easy. You can quickly take lots of screenshots, annotate them, and adding the little arrows and doing all the great annotation stuff you want to do. And then add the titles and descriptions so that your communication is clear and concise. What well, you mean you, you don't like doing all this stuff in Microsoft Word? Because I figured uh, that was that was your oh, could weapon you imagine? of choice. Honestly, I would like to gouge my eyes out with a rusty spoon before I would want to do this in Microsoft Word. Yeah, that's that's fair. Just, just that, that, I, even that just like an resizing image. an image. I had to do a brief recently. We had to resize an image in Word and it just like the whole document exploded when I made it like five pixels larger. It was crazy. <laughs> but so, so Clarify also goes uh, to give you a lot of outputs. You can put it out to PDF so you can share it. Um, they have clarifyit.com. And that's clarify-it.com, I believe, if memory serves. Yep. Uh, you can put it out to Evernote. You can put it in Dropbox. It even allows you to copy everything to rich text so that you can paste it into pages. 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 There you go. Pages or an email. Yeah. And if you need to make updates later on, like swap out an image or change an annotation on screenshot, Clarify makes it really easy to do that as well. I yeah, to- I had to do that. Yeah. You know, we got to hang out with the Clarify guys at Macworld and they're just super nice. And 
they they created this application to solve their own problem. And it turned out to be, you know, a godsend for a lot of us. I mean, I'm using it in a day job now all the time. New staff comes in. We just send them the PDF, tells them how we do things and problem solved. Yeah. And, and I've been using it a lot to publish. I've been publishing some clarified documents to my website. And it's, it's, it's so simple because what I do is I export it to the Clarify uh, its service and a little, little box pop up and says, okay, yay, it's been successfully exported. What do you want to do? And there's a little box that says copy the HTML. So then I go over to Squarespace. I create a new box that says HTML or code, I think is what it says. And then I hit the paste button and boom, my done, done, done. Yeah. The trick is don't scrimp on screenshots and descriptions. It's really easy if you've been doing these things a lot to say, well, I only need five. Hey, you know what? Go nuts. Use 10. Show every intermediary step because the whole idea is when it's done, you hand it off to a person and you don't need to spend any more time on it. Yeah. And then if you do make a mistake, like you've realized that you spelled something wrong on the very first paragraph, not that that has ever happened to me. And someone sends you a little Twitter comment says, um, hey, you moron, you spelled your name wrong or something. Then you can go back into clarify and you can backspace and you can fix it and then you can republish it and then just boom, fixed. Jim Dalrymple linked an article today where the Nova Scotia Times spelled their name wrong in their own publication. Oh, I love that. That I love that. (laughs) So thanks, Clarify, for sponsoring the Mac Power Users. And if you haven't seen this app, go check it out. It's it's kind of like magic. Let them know you heard about it from us, too. Yeah, you can find more information at clarify-it.com and uh, let them know that we sent you over there. Um, let's, let's talk about a kind of a service that you and I have been using more often, and it has helped with the collaboration of the show. And that is G drive, I think is what it's called these days. Google docs. Yeah. So we talked about syncing document syncing with iCloud, which is really great for one person. You know, if I want to share a pages document today, I was working on a pages document at the day job and I can open my iPad and pick up right where I left off using the magic of iCloud. But if Katie and I were sharing that document, there's really no good way to do that through iCloud. I could send it to you and then Katie would make changes and then there would be two different versions and all kind of mayhem will ensue. Um, uh, Google is that company with that backend server stuff that I was talking about Apple doesn't have. And they've been able to um, harness that for some really great services, one of which is basically the Google Docs services. And there's documents and there's spreadsheets and there's um, presentations. Although I have to admit, I have never made a presentation in the Google Docs suite. Have you? No, no. I mean, I can't even imagine it. I love Keynote so much. But uh, they're there. And I find that the docs and the numbers or the, I'm sorry, the, what is it? Spreadsheets? Is that, that's what they call it, right? Spreadsheets. I think so. Are really useful for collaboration type stuff. I mean, one of the things we have for this show um, inside baseball is a Google Docs spreadsheet that has an entry for every show from now into the middle of 2014. That's right. We're planners. And uh, if you that look means at it, we're going to have Mac power users between now and the middle of 2014. We are committed. Well, it's even worse with the, the site update. We paid for three years of hosting, so I we're know. stuck. We are we're stuck. stuck. We got <laughs> to keep doing these shows. Oh. I can't. <laughs> you know, if we decide that we got to hang it up, then the other one's going to say, no way, dude. We just paid for three years hosting. You're in. Yep. I You're will. In. 
Anyway, so so we've got this thing, the spreadsheet, and in it it lists the show title, and it lists kind of notes about the show. It has the sponsor list, and it has all the, the little notes we have, and Katie and I share that. In fact, we also share it with Hattie and some of the people at 5x5 Five Five so they can see what we're up to. And it, you know, we run the show off a Google spreadsheet. You know, it's great. I, I don't know if you were, li- I was listening to the, I think it was the most, one of the recent accidental tech podcasts where Marco was talking about how he is, of course he is, he is, is building this custom, I don't even think it's a custom CMS, but it's this custom database and engine for managing his podcast because he does it with John and Casey and they sell sponsorships. And so they, it, it was kind of inside baseball because I was thinking, oh yeah, we do a lot of that same stuff too. And he was just talking about how he was custom coding this thing and blah, blah, blah. And I get that that's the kind of stuff that Marco loves, but it would just make me want to crawl on the floor and die if if I had to create system, something custom for that. And I was like, oh, man, we just do a Google spreadsheet and we're done. Yeah. Well, I mean, I get it. I mean, it, that's I, I'm not capable of creating. No, I'm Marco's, not capable. So. Maybe once <laughs> Marco the, creates it and open sources it, we'll use it. But yeah, but the, the Google spreadsheet works pretty darn good. Documents is the same way. It, it's, in my opinion, ugly as sin. But you can open it up and start typing a document. The uh, the book I wrote with Eddie Smith on Markdown. It started out, we, we traded an Omni outline back and forth and eventually got a pretty good outline. And then we turned it into a Google document. And we just had sections in there that said, Dave will write this part, Eddie will write that part. I mean, you could be very liberal. We wrote it in Markdown, of course, because you got to eat your own dog food. And then we wrote this document collaboratively as a, as a Google document over the course of about a month. And uh, after that, then we did take it out. And I think that's one of the things about Google Documents. It's great for collaboration. I don't see it as a final product kind of thing. In fact, with the Markdown book, I took all the text out of there eventually and put it into a pages document. So when I could send it to my editor, she could, you know, mark uh, changes, you know, track changes. I, I would never use it as an end format, but I'll tell you there are people who are. I am, I'm part of a group that, that mentors law students. And so we, we meet once a month and it's a group of an attorneys and a group of law students and someone, a group has to give presentations every month. And so the month that was our turn to give presentations, we had to coordinate with our students about who was going to do what and what was going to happen. And they were all about using Google Docs for collaborating and I, because I think they probably have to do group projects regularly. And they were very comfortable using Google Docs for collaboration and submitting the end product. And I think a lot of them don't even have the office suite on their computer anymore. Yeah, I had a case once where everything kind of went off the rails uh, with the we were getting ready to read the instructions to the jury. And uh, for a variety of reasons, we had to redo all the jury instructions in an evening. And it, it's a it's a pretty big project. Uh, so I had like four people working on it and we were all sharing one big Google doc and just, we broke it up into pieces and you can have multiple people working in there at the same time. Um, David Wayne and Rob Cordry, those are guys that we've had on the show before. Actually, Rob's is the lost Rob episode. Rob was the lost episode, yeah. He's coming back, though. We've already booked it in August, everybody. We're going to have Rob on. And Rob, you're on the hook now in August. Uh, but anyway, they wrote episodes of their show, of their TV show, just using Google Docs. So, Well, Dave wrote his, uh, his Wanderlust in Google Docs. Yeah, so it's Wanderlust. Wanderlust, yeah. Wanderlust. 
Um, anyway, the uh, which is a great movie, by the way. We just watched it again the other night. But either way, so a lot of people are doing this stuff. I think that at the end of the day, you're pulling it out of there and you're putting it into a different format if you're going to print it. Um, if it's just text, though, why not leave it there? It, it's really it's it's useful. And now Microsoft is trying to do that too. Uh, they've got some new products. It's Office 365 product that's got a web-based, a web solution, and it's got some sharing and collaboration tools. I haven't used them enough. I suspect they are not as bulletproof as the Google version of this because Google is just so much more experienced at it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in Google Documents is getting better. I mean, all of the Google products, the user interfaces are are starting to look a lot better than they did a few years ago. I mean, I think I've said before that I think Google's getting better at user interface faster than Apple's getting better at cloud solutions and and server uh, technologies. Yeah, there's still definitely some wonkiness. Cutting and pasting between a Google Doc and something else is still still a little dicey. Um, it's it still kind of wants to be a closed system, but I think they're getting out of it. And especially with the app support now, there's a there's a G Drive app for the iPad that I use very regularly. In fact, I kind of prefer using the iPad app, and, and I can use the iPhone app in a pinch, although the screen's a little small for the type of stuff that we do. I'll go in and update the spreadsheet with the iPhone or the iPad app, and so those things work well. Yeah, and that's a really good point. If you're going to use this stuff, get the G Drive app on your iPad and your iPhone because that's the only way that I know of to open and edit these things live. I mean, there there are some third-party apps that can open a Google Doc, but it's a local copy. The G Drive app does it as Google intended right on the server. Right. So I think that's about all we had to say about uh, Google Docs. I, I want to shift gears a little bit. And we've been talking about syncing documents quite a bit for the last you know, hour or so. But there are a lot of other things on our computer that, that need syncing. And one of the big things that we talked about in our original sync episode was syncing iTunes, which is kind of problematic, but it's almost a problem that solved itself because we've almost been able to avoid it because of iCloud and wireless syncing now. Yeah. It depends um, on the media, really. It, it, it really does. You know, uh, I with iCloud, and, you know, maybe we should talk about this in the iCloud section, but I think it fits here, too. We've now got I, 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 mm, iTunes in the cloud is not right. What's it called? Um, Match? Something? iTunes Match. iTunes Match, yeah. I don't know why I want to call it iTunes in the cloud. You know, iTunes Match, which basically lets you keep all of your music in the cloud, and you can download the music. We've, we've had... Um, We've had syncing of, of apps and books, so if you buy something on, on one machine or you can go back and get your – I think it, there is something called iTunes in the cloud where you can go back and re-download many, but not all, um, but you know of, of things that you have, have purchased previously. And if you download something on one device, you can set it up to automatically download on another. So I, I know many, many people who never – you know, I, I've told people, well, when was the last time you plugged your phone in? Plugged into what? Power? No. Yeah. Plugged into your computer? Never. Wow. I have to admit, I I rarely, rarely plug my phone into my computer. I can't remember the last time I did it because I don't put f- movies on my phone. Yeah, I movies movies are the ones that really take a long time to sync. Um, 
I, I am still an advocate of backing up and syncing to iTunes regularly. You know, iCloud backup has alleviated some of this problem, and, and I strongly recommend that everybody turn on um, iCloud backup for your phones, for your family members' phones. Everybody you know, just go around to their phones and start turning on iCloud backup because one day they will thank you for that when something bad happens. And yeah. what iCloud backup will do, you know, we could almost do a, a part of a whole show on that, is it will let you back up. Um, and you can change the settings and change exactly what you want to back up, but it will let you back up your your phone up to iCloud and it will do it. Mine does it every night when I plug it in because it will do it when it's plugged in and on Wi-Fi and that meets that criteria when it's plugged in next to my bed. But it, at some point you will have an issue, an unexpected issue, and you'll be glad that you had that backup from the night before. But there are a couple of things that the iCloud backup won't do. I mean, it won't get your encrypted, it won't, your iCloud backup will not back up passwords. Yeah. It will back up your apps. It will back up your settings. It will back up your data within your apps as long as you've got it turned on for those individual apps. Typically won't back up passwords. So when you restore, you'll have to, you know, put back in the passwords for your various accounts. That's not horrible. Um, as we talked about, the iCloud restore is a little bit slow because it's, again, it's over the air. It's in the cloud. I do like to regularly plug into iTunes and create a manual backup of my phone every now and again. Number one, just because it's another redundant backup. I have heard of people whose iCloud backups have gotten corrupted, and when they've needed it, it hasn't been available. And it's just much, much easier to restore um, from a local backup than from an you, iCloud. Well, not, also, not easier, faster. You can also flip a bit to do your um, sync with your device over Wi-Fi. But I believe to do the full backup, you actually need to plug it in with a, with a cable. That's correct, you do. Okay. And, and so the iPad, I do plug in once in a while because I will copy movies and media down and I find it just so much easier to do that over copper as opposed to Wi-Fi. Maybe it's just the Wi-Fi in my house. I don't know. Yeah. I have found that the Wi-Fi sync for my iPhone was extremely unreliable. When I originally got my iPhone 5, it was okay towards the tail end. Of, I mean, because it was introduced about halfway through my, um, when, when I had my iTunes 4 and it worked okay. It got extremely unreliable with my new iPhone 5. Something happened in the last couple of months where it's gotten better. And so it's pretty good, but it's not 100%. Well, you know, another reason why uh, I don't plug my iPhone in very often is because so much of the media I want, I get directly, you know, through the iTunes match. Like when I buy music, I generally buy it from the uh, the Apple iTunes store. Occasionally I buy stuff through Amazon. And when I do that, they've got that importer that automatically drops in an iTunes and it still syncs through iTunes match to my phone. Uh, so then it's just a question of being smart about your playlist. You know, you get new music and I don't want to turn this into an iTunes episode, but you know, you get new music, you put in a playlist and then you just go to your phone and hit download all and it shows up and it's ready to go. Um, another thing is, is podcast. Cause you know, you and I are both big podcast listeners. And since we did that last show, these, you know, these pod catchers for the phones are just awesome now. Yeah, I'll I'll tell you, this is still a problem for me. And I've gone back and forth and back again with with the podcatcher. It's but, um you know what? I'm 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 literally going to buy you an iPod <laughs> touch and just send it to you so you stop talking about it. <laughs> I don't want an iPod touch. So so let me just very briefly, here's my dilemma. I go to the gym three, four days a week and 
I like to listen to podcasts sometimes at the gym and I do not like to take my iPhone to the gym. It's number one, I don't want to be disturbed by the iPhone. I mean, that's kind of my time, my quiet time. I don't want to take my iPhone to the gym. Well, Katie, you can just turn your iPhone into airplane mode or turn into do not disturb or whatever you want to do. I I don't mean that disrespectfully. I've just, I've heard it from everybody. I think you do. (laughs) Okay. Is it angry Katie coming out again? Sorry. Yeah. Um, Well, okay. So then I got one of those armbands for the iPhone, but it's just so big and clunky and uncomfortable. And I, I, I just, I just don't like it. I I've like given you so many solutions for this, Katie. You could pick a couple podcasts I, that just get heard on your, your little thing that you're, your little iPod. Yeah. So I like or my you, little shuffle. So you want me well, just to pick a handful of podcasts and those are my gym podcasts. Yeah. Do the, what's the new Marco podcast called? Um, Accidental tech show you were just talking about. Do that. Just listen to that one while you're pumping iron. You have to, it depends on what you're in the mood for. It just depends. I, I, I'm done with this. I'm done with it because, because <laughs> it's so much easier now. Instacast, downcast. So I used downcast I, for a long time. I tell you, I, I downloaded downcast and if anything was going to make me switch, oh my gosh, David, it was the best experience. I loved it. It, it was a, it was a, did, did you know that there are podcasts out that actually do what they're supposed to and work? Yeah, and it's got very granular controls. You can say only keep two episodes of this show, keep all the episodes of Mac Power Users, uh, yeah, you whatever you want to do. do. Um, then Instacast, just two weeks ago, before we record this, came out with a beta for a Mac app, which makes a ton of sense to me because I spend a lot of time sitting at a Mac, and a lot of it is doing fiddly stuff where I don't need to be entirely concentrating and with Instacast's new Mac app, it syncs with the Instacast app on my iPhone and my iPad. So I can be listening to a show. I can hit pause or stop and then go get my car and turn on my phone. And it just picks up where I left off on my Mac and I am sold. Uh, to the extent I, I did like Downcast a lot, the ability to sync and listen to this stuff on the Mac is a big winner for me. So now yeah, I'm using I, Instacast. I think Downcast is almost going to need to come out with a Mac app to... I don't know if yeah. they're developing one or had thoughts about it, but I, I think Instacast could pull away a, a lot of um, a, a lot of it, uh, listeners to because of the Mac app, or people at least just thinking that they'll use it, even if they don't. I, I'm already sold. I use it all the time, and so this is syncing. You know, I listen to a podcast, and the position sync happens seamlessly. And you know, if I finish one on my computer and I open up my phone, it shows that it's already been played. It's really great. So yeah, Instacast with the Mac app is the thing that may make me try the may make me try the iPhone at the gym again. I just keep thinking that Apple's going to come out with an iOS based Nano, and that'll solve my problems. Anyway, with Wi Fi. Yeah. Okay. So so that's another reason why I'm not plugging my phone in because I don't need to. I've got my podcast. I mean, that was the most frequently updated audio that I ever had was, you know, cause there's always a new podcast out there and I can subscribe to them on the thing. I mean, the podcast section of my iTunes is a wasteland. I don't go there anymore. It's all done in these apps. Now I will tell you that the podcast app from Apple has gotten a lot better. And, and so that is what I use now. And the reason that I use it because it is still very deficient compared to Instacast and Downcast but I, I use the podcast app from iTunes because it has gotten a lot better, but because it's it's the only one that will sync with iTunes and in turn iTunes then syncs with my shuffle. Instacast for the Mac. All right. Um, 
does the does the Apple app download in the background? So would like if you had the Apple Podcast app, would it download a Mac Power Users episode without you having to open the app? Does that make sense? No. It does no, not. It does not, yeah. No, that it would makes, be a it really, makes sense, but it doesn't do it. So that's something that Apple could do that nobody else would be allowed to. That would be interesting if you wake up in the morning and all your shows are already updated. That would be nice. Now, um, what I have to do is I just i I tap it in the morning, and it I've got a I've got a, I've got a playlist called Morning, and I what do I listen to in the morning? I listen to um, it, it's called Evening Edition, but I listen to it in the morning, which is a news recap show, and then I listen to Mac OS Ken in the morning, and so it starts downloading those, and then I play that playlist in the morning. You know that Ken has a Star Trek show. He does. What um, Captain Mission Log. Log. Mission Log. Oh, Mission Log, yes. Mission Log podcast. So. Did, did and, you know that I got to go... Oh, no, I don't even want to hear this. ...to the Paramount lot and see a premiere of the new Star Trek movie a week and a half before it came out with our pal Rod Roddenberry, who was a guest on our show? I'm not listening. Uh, I can't hear you. Sorry. I was thinking about you. I was thinking this would make Katie absolutely just bananas if she knows you. Don't, you don't even like Star Trek. You, you're like Star I, I do Wars. Like, you don't even what know are you anything talking about Star Trek. I like Star Trek. I love Star Trek. I love anything geeky. All right. So are you and me, getting, 10 questions, general Star Trek trivia, go. Let's talk about sinking email. <laughs> Actually, why don't we, uh, why don't we, um, so I can calm down. Why don't we talk about, you want to talk about uh <laughs> Because <laughs> I'm off lesson. You want to talk about Linda.com? So you're pretty much saying if I if I question your Star Trek loyalty, I get angry, Katie. You immediately. Might. You might like, get more angry, Katie. Yeah. Go directly to angry, Katie. You Some might. people like that. I guess I should do that more often. You should. But I'm just saying I would totally kick your butt and I will challenge anybody to Star Trek trivia. Wow. I want you to know that I have in my possession that I won when he um, at a Star Trek convention um, and autographed Jimmy Duthan Magnet. You know, from Scotty yeah, for Star Trek trivia, where I wiped the floor with everybody else who was there, all the little Star Trek geeks. Katie, I want you to go have a drink right now. <laughs> all right. And I'm not, I'm not talking about water. Okay. All right. Okay. I'm going to talk about lynda.com. All right. Um, so lynda.com is a, is a great service that lets you learn uh, online. You know, I, ta- I do a lot of screencasting. That's what lynda.com does. They screencast and teach you about just about any kind of technology, software, creative, and business skill that you'd want. I, I've been a subscriber of Lynda. When I saw that they were going to sponsor the show, I got kind of excited because um, I've been a $25 a month subscriber of lynda.com for a couple of years now. And I go in there all the time and learn stuff. I mean, I didn't really understand how to use PayPal. I mean, I've always known like I can send money and blah, 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 but there's a whole bunch of nuances to it. They've got like an hour and a half um, video on how to use PayPal where they go through the nitty gritty stuff that you'd never you'd never think about, but once you learn it, it works great. And, and they have an app for the iPad. So I put it on the iPad. I put a lynda.com thing and I stand at the treadmill and I just start hoofing it. And it's a great way to learn. Um, we did a show with Ina Saltz about typography that was on lynda.com membership starts at just $25 a month and provides unlimited 24 seven access to top quality video courses taught by expert instructors and real world experience. Learn anything anytime, anywhere, all at your own pace from bite-sized tutorials to comprehensive courses and things like computer skills and web design, graphic design, personal development, business skills, photography, audio and video, 3D and animation. 
And the way they do it is they do break it up in very small pieces with chapters and headings. So if there's a part, you know, you can skip right over and go to the next. Or if there's a part you didn't really understand, you can go back and watch it again. You can sharpen your skills and stay current with modern software and the best practices. If you want to learn how to uh, to uh, to program computers, lynda.com would be a great place to start. With new courses added every week, lynda.com library keeps pace with today's fast-changing technical and software skills. You can save and prioritize courses in your queue for whatever you're ready to watch, even create playlists of courses on skills you're interested in learning. Lynda makes it easy to learn on the go with their optimized mobile site or their free iPhone and iPad app for members. So go to lynda.com for free for seven days or visit lynda.com slash users or lynda.com slash MPU and check it out. Uh, once again, I am a happy subscriber to lynda.com and I love learning about technology stuff and this is a great way to do it. So go check it out and thanks Linda for supporting the podcast. Yeah. You know how um, when Aisha Tyler was talking last week about just sitting down over a weekend, and I think the word she used was luxuriating in Final Cut Pro videos or whatever it was. Yeah. Th- this is what you do. Yeah, this would be a great place to start. Yeah, you just block out a weekend, get a little mani-pedi or something, and go. I've got a whole list of stuff in here. Like regular expressions is something I want to get better at. They've got a course on it, and I'm going to be watching that. So uh, it's a great way. You know, if you like learning, and if you're listening to the show, you probably do. Uh, This may be something you want to check out. But do it through our link. You know, let them know that you heard about it from us. Absolutely. All right. Are you okay now? I'm better. I'm better. I've calmed down. Okay. So is the it's like you take a breathing, nice breath, um, breath, you know, calming I've, breath. I've, yes, I'm fine. All right, email. What, did you know when the new Star Wars movie came out? You know when the terrible episode yes. one premiered. Yes, there was a, the, there was a the guy Jar-Jar out there. One. Yeah, there was a guy. Uh, I was at the place where the theater was, and people were lined up for like a week. And there was a guy in the front of the line, and he was dressed up like Darth Maul. And he had like the full on makeup. He had the double sided lightsaber and you, you could tell that this was a big part of his self image. So I went out there and started asking him, oh. you know, how long have you been in line? And, and, and then I was like, I said, now you are Mr. Spock, right? And it like, and I kept asking him Star Trek questions. And, and then he told me, dude, that's the wrong mythology. That's, that's how he said it. <laughs> I, uh, I wanted to laugh so hard. And then I thought he was going to punch me when I told him to live long and prosper. But Well, what you should have done is you should have gone to him after the movie and be like, was it everything you hoped? <laughs> no. Yeah. We are we are going to the um, to the IMAX this weekend to go see the, the premiere of the, well, yeah, of the new Star Trek movie. But moving on. Email. Right. Email. We we won't talk too much about email because we have done many shows on email previously, but I still get questions about email and how do I make my email sync up between my iPad and my iPhone and my Mac? And I, why am I seeing multiple messages and why am I seeing this message here, but not here? And it's, it's four little letters is the answer to all of your email problems. I M A P IMAP is the only way to go for email. I did a little video on the difference between IMAP and pop that kind of illustrates it. I did that video. Like, I think I did that before we even had the Mac power users that might predate the show, but it still works. Um, July 30th, 2008. 
Oh, really? Are you looking yeah. at it? I'm looking at it. Put it in the show notes. You wow. spelled IMAP with a lowercase i. That's pretty cool. IMAP. Well, you know. You know. Sorry. I, I used to be clever. I used to be real clever, but not anymore. So anyway, the, you know, the point is, if you don't have IMAP already, you really should. And uh, watch the video. kind of explains how to do it or listen to any of our uh, email shows. And uh, the, I think the only caveat there is when you start talking about Gmail, because Gmail isn't exactly IMAP. It's something different. And I don't think we have the bandwidth right now to explain the difference. I'm not even sure anybody completely understands the difference, but uh, we just don't have time to go through it. But if you're on Gmail, you can still sync and, and get kind of the benefits of IMAP. But with the tagging system, it comes out a little differently at the back end. Boy, that didn't help at all, did it? No, but IMAP. Just get an IMAP account. And no, the free account that you get from your ISP likely is not IMAP. Yeah. But they're not that hard to find anymore. I think it's almost harder to find pop mail these days. Well, but uh, see, so many people get free email from Bell South or Comcast or whoever they're their ISP is. And I, and I don't like that for so many reasons because people get these email accounts with whoever their providers are and then they move or they want to move. And I don't mean move like to a new house, but just move service providers or even move to a new house. And they feel like they can't because they are going to lose all their email. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, there's some outliers in the syncing world too. Uh, like for instance, because so much of this stuff is already done for me, there's a couple things that I always are thinking about. And one of them is scripts, you know, because I always have these little bits of Apple script and other little shell scripts and things that I use, you know, the, uh, the Terpstra download, as I call it, you know, all the stuff I get from Brett or stuff that Ben Waldy helps me develop or the, the bits that I was able to cobble together myself. If a Mac, you know, fries out, I don't have, you know, I don't have an easy way to get those off the other Mac without kind of going and digging and finding with scripts I love. So now whenever I have a script that I love, I put it into a Dropbox folder and it just stays there. So I can always reinstall them on another computer very easily. Um, text expander snippets, that stuff gets synced all through Dropbox. Um, app settings, I mean, not, not all apps sync their settings. And sometimes if it's an important app, you may want to do that. You can make a copy to Dropbox. I mean, basically, I just treat uh, a section of Dropbox as kind of a a little folder where I can keep little settings and bits and bobs that aren't really serving any purpose on Dropbox, but just available to me to install on a Mac if I need to. So now those scripts, some scripts have to especially be in your scripts folder. So you just keep copies of them in these Dropbox folders? Exactly. So when you've got okay. one that's pretty cool, you just drop it in your Dropbox folder. So, or if I'm talking to Katie on the phone and she says, man, I really wish I had a script that would automatically, you know, realign the um, dilithium crystals. Isn't that right? That's Star Trek, right? Mm-hmm. Then I can just email it to her and then she can install it herself. Um, document templates, you know, like uh, I really like the document templates feature in the iWork uh, stuff. You know, for the day job, I have a lot of templates for things I build or even just like an invoice. Um, I will save it as a template, but because I have two Macs, uh, those templates aren't always going to show up on both Macs. So I have a little templates folder in Dropbox where I just make a copy of it and put it in there. And so the next time I'm on my iMac and it doesn't have the template I'm used to seeing on my laptop, I can just go grab it off Dropbox and install it. Or if both of my computers went up into a puff of smoke... I could get a new one and I could go to Dropbox and get all my templates back. That makes sense. That's a good, so I, I have something similar. 
I keep it in my, uh, yeah, I sync my Dropbox, my documents folder to my Dropbox. I've just created a sim link and I just keep something that I call my, for lack of a better term, my database folder. And that's what kind of holds all of those little random pieces of information. The show is called Syncing and Sharing, Katie. We're an hour and 20 minutes in. Oh. All we've talked about is syncing. So maybe we should talk about sharing. All right, let's do I'm not, that. I'm not a big sharer. I don't like sharing. It's all mine. I think you are angry. I really do. <laughs> I think you're feisty and angry. Yeah. You didn't go have a drink. I told you to have a drink. I didn't. I didn't go have a drink. Um, but sharing. Are you going to start yelling at me in Klingon now? I just want to know. <sighs> my goodness. I did correct your text expander snippet, though. Did you fix that? Was that you? That was really? me. That was me. <laughs> I did a, I'm doing a series of Max Sparky of some of my favorite text expander snippets, gang. So if you guys want to download them, cool. I get a lot of emails from people internationally. So I came up with these great snippets where I'd say like German thanks and it would write thanks in German with the correct, um, you know, accented characters and everything. So I just keep expanding on it. And I added Klingon to it and binary, by the way. And somebody was complaining about my Klingon pronunciation. I thought I didn't realize it was no, you. You, you used the wrong word. Oh, I mean, Klingons just don't say thanks. You need let's a better stop right now. word. Let's just stop right now. Okay. Stop. Kapla would be the word that you're looking <laughs> for. That explains so much. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> were you wondering why you were getting grief about that on Twitter? No, I know, now I know why you're so angry. You're part Klingon. You speak oh, Klingon. That is it. Yeah. Okay, let's stop. All right. Um, sharing. Uh-oh, so right. since okay. Katie doesn't like anybody, um, yes. I'll talk about sharing. Okay. So, you know, sharing files has always been an issue too. And when we did the show four years ago, we had this whole section in it about how do you email large files? Because it's always a problem. I mean, you send a file that's over, I, I think generally the general accepted standard is like 10 megabytes where oh, email, you'd be surprised. Some of them are less. Some of them are still five. Yeah, it depends on the server, really on the receiving side, so you have no control over it. So quite often you'll send a file to someone and it gets spit back at you, or you don't even know it's it was rejected, and you think the other person got the file and they didn't. And, you know, files just are getting bigger. Cameras make take bigger pictures and all these problems. So how do you share these files? Uh, the, one of the easiest ways is even with a free Dropbox account, um, you can just upload it and share a link. Well, you know what? It's been so long. Can you do that with a free account still? Yeah. Yeah, you can do okay. that with a free account as long as you so don't had, go over your, your size. I've had a paid account so long, but it's it's really awesome. So you put up – I put a, a folder in my root Dropbox called sharing, and it's just a folder I created. And I put a couple things in there. And whenever somebody – you know, I need to send something to somebody, I – I put it in there and then I create a link and you can do it a couple ways. You can go to the Dropbox website and it makes it very easy to get a link or uh, in the finder. I believe the most recent version of Dropbox installed this for me. I can select a file and right click it and there's a little Dropbox menu and I can say, get me the link. And then I can embed that into an email. If you want to get extra brownie points, when you create the email in Apple mail, select the text, say, download this file, then highlight the word, this file, hit command K which will create a link, open a little window for a link, and then you can paste in that long, ugly Dropbox URL and then hit send. And then the people can just click on the words, this, this link, and it'll download for them right away. 
Yeah, I, I do mine a little differently. Dropbox will give you by default a, a public folder. And it used to be, it's not anymore, that if you wanted to share files that they had to be in that public folder. And now you can really share a file from anywhere in your Dropbox. It doesn't matter. You can just click on it to get that link and, and share that link out. What I do, though, specifically is I, if it's something that I'm just sharing temporarily with somebody, I will throw it in that public folder because they, they use, it's, it's not truly public. Um, somebody still has to have the link to, to be able to download it. And I will send off that link. And I've even got a little text expander snippet. After I copy that link to the cl- clipboard, I've got a little text expander snippet that says, dear, you know, blank with the fill-in form, here's the file. You can download it here. And then yeah. I, I add a little extra verbiage that says this download link is good for, I don't remember how long it's good for. I think it's, I make them good for 48 hours. Because one of the, the extra things that I have mine do just kind of for security purposes is I don't like keeping those files out there forever just being sh- shared in that public folder is I have Hazel after 48 hours remove that file from the public folder. Yeah, that's great. So if you've got something like occasionally I'll share something through the day job like a you know document production or something where the other lawyer, we got to get a big file to them. And exactly same thing. I'll create a Hazel rule, and after 48 hours, it will you know it will destruct. It's like the old Mission Impossible. You light a fuse as soon as you put the file in there, and the file will get deleted. Now, obviously, you're going to have a copy somewhere else that's not on Dropbox of that file if you want to have it, but um, you don't want to leave that stuff up there forever. Um, I don't do that for everything. For for a while, I had one of those Hazel rules governing every file in that folder. Now I do it on a case-by-case basis. See, I, I have a specific folder that I use for things like that, so that's that's why I still keep it generic to the folder. I do it with a label call. If it's got a red label, it's going to die. Ooh, it marked, marked for death. Exactly. Um, so that's really – that's a great way to do it. Another way to share files – is um you know full disclosure another sponsor is file transporter i mean they've really they've really got that down too so file transporter is this device we talk about occasionally on our show and it's a it's a it's a hard drive it's it's basically like a virtual dropbox but you control the drive i mean you have physical access or control of the drive and they've got a way to share files through there as well and that just keeps getting better and better yeah, so we've, we've talked about it on our previous shows, but basically what you can do with, with one transporter is it, it does work as your virtual Dropbox and, and, and so much more. But you, you put this transporter and you plug it into your network, you drag and drop your files on it. There's a, there's a complementary component that you install on your Mac, and you tell it whether you want to store files just on the transporter, whether you, you know, if the files are under a certain size, whether you want to keep links to them on your Mac as well. And so the beauty of it is, is assuming your Mac and your transporter are in the same place, you get the speed of working off of a local network drive, which is still pretty fast if you're on a, um, a pretty fast Wi-Fi network or if you're on an Ethernet network. And so you're working off your own local network. Those files are shared there. But then when you take your Mac and you're off your network, um, if you go to work or if you go to somebody else's house or you're on vacation or wherever, but if you, you know, your transporter is still sitting at your house, but, but you're sitting, you know, 500 miles away or wherever you might be, you still have access to the data on that transporter, you know, assuming the internet connection is still alive and kicking um, at your home, wherever that transporter is sitting. Now, it's not going to be quite as fast because now you're going over the internet as opposed to going over your local network in your house, but you've got access to that data. You can save data off to the transporter while you're gone. So this is a great way to like 
offload photos. If you're taking photos and you want to throw the photos into your Mac and drag and drop them into your transporter or to offload documents. So you can, you can take things off of your Mac and, and offload them onto your transporter, you know, let them, let them offload at night while you're, while you're not really doing anything. But you can also use that to any document that's on your transporter, you can share with other people whether or not they have a transporter. So they can go create a, an account with connected data who are the folks that make the transporter and you can, as long as they have the account, even if they don't have the actual transporter device, you can share individual files on a case-by-case basis with them. So any file that's in David's transporter, he can share with me, although I do have a transporter. Um, he can share with me even if I don't. And if I do have a transporter, which we do, David and I can share um, entire folders of documents back and forth. And then David can decide that I'm just too angry today and can't deal with that and Maybe I might do something irrational so he can revoke my access to this might hit files. it with a lightsaber or something. Or a batleth or something. I, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I, just, I just baited you, Katie. Yeah, I figured that was what that yeah. was. I didn't know what it was called, though, to be honest with you. Yeah. A- One of those pokey Klingon things. The pokey Klingon sword? Yeah. 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 So that, And you know what? That's only getting better. That's all I'm going to say. The, the file transporter stuff, the sharing, these guys are not done. I saw some of the stuff at the ABA Tech Show. They were showing me some of the, the future plans, and it's going to it's just going to get better. So, you know, sharing really is a lot easier than it was the last time we did a show on this stuff. Hey, you put this Synology in the show notes. I'm not familiar with that service. What's that? Yeah, now that is a network attached. There, there are a couple of products like this. Um, you know, Pogo Plug has gotten into this arena. Synology has gotten, and I think I'm, I'm saying that right, um, has gotten into this arena too. Um, and these are, well, the Pogo Plug is a device that you plug into your network and then you plug hard drives into. And the Synology Disk Station um, is an actual network attached storage um, RAID drive or hard drive that then has some brains to it that you can then use as a file server that will that you can log into remotely and browse remotely those files on the server. That remi- that re- reminds me. I ne- I didn't mention it all earlier when we were talking about Dropbox and um and SugarSync that I should have mentioned box.net which is now box.com. And uh that's another really good solution to look at. Yeah. It's it's kind of like that. It's a file. It's a virtual file server, and you have a lot more control over who sees what and versioning and things like that. But it's overkill for a lot of people, I think. Yeah, but but the idea behind some of these products are you actually own the cloud as opposed to a Dropbox product where you're you're putting your data in their servers and, um, you know who who knows kind of where that data physically is and kind of what happens to it. I mean, if, if, if Dropbox gets a subpoena or if Dropbox, if if there's a nefarious employee or something like that, there, there, you know, there, there, there are points of weakness there. I mean, there are points of weakness in every system, but it's, there's one more point of weakness there. So with the Pogo plug or actually better than that would be the, um, um, the transporter. If I had, because the transporter is all in one unit if I had angry Klingons beating on my door with a pokey Klingon sword, I could grab my transporter and stick it in my bag and jump out the back window and take my data with me. Well, you wouldn't even have to because if you had a second transporter plugged into your office, you can keep yeah. those two transporters in sync. So but the Klingon, I didn't, if I didn't, 
the Klingons and their punky swords could, you know, slice right through your first transporter and all of your data is safe on your second one. But they wouldn't get access to it if I took it with me, which is the difference. You know, it's my data. I own the drive that it's on and I can take it with me. Right. Okay, this is starting to feel like a transporter commercial, and it's oh, yeah, not meant to it's be. Not meant to be. But but it it really is a great sharing solution. I I really like what they've done. Um, so so that's it really for sharing. But but then we we've got the photos, which we kind of already talked about uh, the photo streams. There's a whole bunch of web services coming out. I mean, as we go to record this show, Amazon is coming out with its own photo sharing service. And I think there's a lot of people kind of unsatisfied with the general state of photo sharing. So uh, Google just announced, I believe, that you can combine your Google Mail and G Drive space to, I think, now 15 gigabytes. And they've got a photo sharing service. Adobe is trying to do put all your pictures in the cloud. I mean, I think that's really kind of the next big frontier. Um, video still too large of files. Are you there, Katie? Yeah, I'm here. Okay. Cause it made a funny noise and um, I thought you might've got really angry. And I, I, I'm sorry. Just, the, Kling, the Klingons were in here and they just slice through the, your through cord. The computer. <laughs> you know, so I, I, you know, looking at file sizes, you know, uh, music files or audio files was the first frontier because those are manageable sizes with today's data, you know, data rates of transfer and file storage sizes. I think the next big frontier is photos where we're going to have kind of a truth in the cloud for our photos at some point, And that's really starting to happen. And then after that would be video because video files are just orders of magnitude bigger in file size. And we really don't have the bandwidth now to do that. Yeah. There, there are a few more things that you can share, especially with your iOS devices, including calendars and reminders. And I want to touch on those quickly. But before we do, I want to talk about our last sponsor for this episode, and that is 1Password. Um, and we've talked about 1Password quite a bit because it, it's one of my favorite products. In fact, I was just telling our IT guy at the office about it earlier today, and I, I think he's going to end up picking it up and using it in his practice and then hopefully recommending it to some of his clients because we were talking about the tremendous problem and people are finally starting to get that password reuse is such a problem because they're, you know, whatever living social, I think was one of the most recent ones to have an, a problem account gets hacked. And Oh my gosh, we've used that exact same password for every other thing in the office. And um, for employers, it's really becoming a problem because you've got these employees who were setting up work related passwords for all of their various accounts and and they're using unsecure passwords. And as an employer, you're looking at these things and realizing how problematic this is. You know, it's one thing for your personal email to be compromised, but it's a complete other thing, depending on the industry that you're in, um, for for client records and, and for business records to be compromised. So what 1Password allows you to do is, is create and store strong and unique passwords that will sync using Dropbox and iCloud in version 4 across all of your devices, including the Mac, including the PC, the iPhone, and the iPad. And the uh, 1Password 4.2 for iOS just got a big update uh, this past week, and which includes some, some great features for generating passwords and for sharing passwords, if, if that's what you decide to do. So we've talked about that one of my favorite features of 1Password 4 for iOS is they have really stepped up their game with their built-in web browser. In fact, 1Password uh, web browser has probably become one of my, probably my primary browser on iOS because so frequently I'm, I'm buying things or I'm entering credit card numbers or I'm entering 
passwords on various websites. And all of those things are stored into one password. So I pop open one password and I'm using that as my primary browser. And you've always been able to, with version four, to generate passwords within one password. But with this recent update to version 4.2, you can now generate them directly in the browser. And so that is a big update to the browser. Um, the browser is also a lot snappier. They've also got the go and fill bookmarklets that they've now brought over from the Mac version are now in the one password browser on iPad. So you don't have to switch back into file vault to find another login to open and fill it automatically. Um, they've also, um, added some additional abilities for auto submit and, and to, like we said, to generate the strong passwords is probably my favorite. So if you're on a site and you want to create a new login for a site, you don't have to go back into the vault and generate a password to save it and go back in. You can do that all right within the browser. They've updated their search capabilities. So if you think you've got a password, cause now my password database is several hundred, uh, long, you can search their search capabilities are updated and they've got a new sharing feature that they've rolled out, which you may think is a little counterintuitive to be sharing passwords, but we have to now. So one password has a special feature for sharing passwords, either via the, their, what they call their vault mode via messages or in a, um, a kind of, um, obfuscated format in an email or in plain text where your recipient will get an add to one password link and they tap it and it adds that particular login and that information to one password. So David, we just recently, in fact, I, this is what I'm going to use because I don't think I've sent you the logins yet. We just recently updated our website. I don't think I've sent you logins for our FTP accounts and things like that. I'm going to create all those. And I thought, gosh, wouldn't it be nice if I could just send him all this one password information and now I can. Yeah, it's going to be really helpful between me and my wife as well, because I've got some accounts I've created over the years that she needs access to. And it's a real pain to, you know, share these really long, secure passwords. And between me and her, I'm very comfortable using this mechanism to get them into her device. And now I know she'll have the information if I get hit by a bus or, or if Katie just takes my head off one day in a fit of anger. Yeah, that could happen. So it's it's kind of an appropriate ad spot for our, our sharing episode. And uh, I think 1Password's making some great strides in this area. Uh, you can find one uh, more information over at onepassword.com. And thanks to 1Password for continuing to support Mac Power users. So speaking of sharing, um, I was listening to um, my, um, actually, a couple of different ways this has come up. Um, I was listening again to the Accidental Tech podcast and Casey was talking about how he's trying to come up, you know, he and his wife are really struggling with, I, I think it was a grocery list app where they're trying to come up with a way that they can share simple lists with each other. And I was just screaming in my kitchen at the, the iPhone speakers about why aren't you using reminders? I mean, he's thinking about creating apps and if someone could please just tweet him or get in touch with him and let him know, um, is that that's one I think the most overlooked features of reminders is that it's in iOS, it's on your Mac, it's on your iPad, it's on your iPhone, it's on the Mac now, is that you can create reminders, you can create different reminders lists. I have one for shopping. I know you've got yours broken down between like groceries and home improvement stores. And then yeah, you I, did a, I did an article on that for Macworld, how my wife and I just use reminders to share this stuff. Yeah, and then you can share those. There's a there's a little um 
a little share button. It it looks kind of like a Wi-Fi icon next to it. You know, there, there's I don't think there's really a menu option or anything, but you just click on that little um, share icon and say who you want to share it with, and boom, done. When when they first uh, uh, rolled that out, you had to go onto the iCloud.com website to set up the sharing which was, I think, a barrier for a lot of people. They didn't, I mean, who goes to the website to begin with? So you didn't even realize it was there, but now you can do it right in the app. And like you were explaining, uh, we have a shared target list and a shared uh, um, Costco list, and we have a shared grocery list. So when I need, you know, whatever, spicy carrots, I just put it on the list for the market. And when Daisy's at the market, she can look in there and whether she gets it for me is another story, but she at least knows that I'd like it. <laughs> now we, we use it all the time. It's great, you know, because we're always, you know, out shopping and doing stuff. I've got my, you know, I'm going to get my kids on it now. As I'm sitting here thinking, my oldest one is out. She's driving around now. I can get her doing some of my grocery shopping for me. Yeah, you might as well. Yeah. Well, now you're going to have to give her money. That's already started. That's um. already started. But the uh, it, it really is very useful. And I think it's, you know, you can add stuff to it with Siri, you know. I can say, you know, add toilet paper to my grocery list. Actually, I'd add that to my target list. But it'll do it, Siri. I'll just put it on the list. You don't have to even open an app. And then when you go in, it's there. And everybody who's sharing the app with you gets the exact same information. Yeah, it's not super full featured. I mean, it doesn't, I guess you could create, I was, I was thinking, kind of kicking around the idea of, well, do I want to go with a more dedicated grocery app? Because there are a couple of things that I get every single, I mean, every single week at the grocery store, you know, I, I get eggs, I get lettuce, I get asparagus. I mean, there are a couple of things that I get every single week. And then there are a couple of things I get probably every two weeks. And I was thinking, well, I mean, are, should I look at one of these dedicated grocery list apps where... I can kind of set up these recurring things. And I just keep coming back to reminders, partly because of Siri integration, partly because it's so easy and it's just there. I guess you could set up a custom reminder. And I do go to the grocery store pretty much only on Sundays. but I don't really need it to tell me, to remind me to go to the grocery store. You know, when I need to go get groceries, I go to get groceries. In fact, no, I, but, I, no, but I mean for like specific things that you buy every, every so often. Yeah. And some of the grocery apps do that for you. Uh, in reminders, you could, I think you could go into checked items and uncheck them to restore them to the list, but that's kind of fiddly. I mean, re realistically, the way I do it is I just say add milk to the grocery list every time. I don't know how many times I've said that. Yeah. I, whereas I don't know if you would, you would consider setting up a recurring task for milk once a week. Yeah. So, well, there you, there you have it, sharing. And there's a lot more to sharing these days. I mean, we've come a long way. The iOS whole system with the cloud integration and the great stuff app developers are doing are making it easier and easier to get your data between your various devices and to get your data to other people. Yeah. And then calendars is another area. And, and we're not going to go too much detail into this. We, we did a whole show on, I think, on uh, calendars and contacts. But um, you can share um calendars with people that, you know, David and I have a shared Mac power users calendar where we will schedule shows and other things that we need to, and then we'll send out calendar invites to our guests and that will get added to that Mac power users calendar. So he and I both know what's going on and, and when we've got a show coming up to record. You know, I just don't share items with people like Kate, angry people, you know, that, Oh dear. I, I also share calendars with anybody I'm going to meet 
uh, if I'm going to have lunch with Colleen Wainwright, remember our guest Colleen? Awesome, right? Now, do you do you do you share the entire calendar, or you just share an invite? Share an invite. So yeah. you create an event, and you send her. You, you add her as an attendee, and and iCloud takes care of the rest of it for you. Right, We're, but you and I actually have it. We've created a, an an yes. MPU calendar, and we actually share that calendar. Yeah, yeah. But my point is, you can do either. I mean, these days it's a lot easier to share this type of information. And then once we have a shared event, if we need to change it, it it reflects on both calendars. Right. It's it's easy to reschedule or cancel or or move it around or whatnot. And, and it works the same way with our shared calendar, of course, as well. The um the the other thing that I think people tend to overlook is is it's it's pretty easy to share contacts too. Um, we just had Mother's Day and my aunt was I we had Mother's Day at my house and my aunt asked is there anything I can do and I said well yeah actually you're you're coming in from out of town you're coming in off the interstate right there off the interstate is this bakery can can you pick up a dozen muffins I've pre ordered them and she said yeah but can you send me the contact information well I had already scanned that that card into my phone so i had a, a an an entry for them in contacts that had their name their address their phone number and all of that so if you scroll down to the bottom of of anyone in your contacts or any company in your contacts there's a there's a button that you can click to share either via email or via iMessage and that will send that contact off to somebody and it just they can import it directly into their book I was meeting a friend recently at a shopping mall, and it's got all these um, fountains. And I said, meet me at the fountain. And he's like, what fountain? Because there's like 10 of them. So I looked at the Maps app on my phone, and I just found the fountain because, you know, it's got the the satellite view. And I put a pin right in the fountain I wanted to meet him at and sent him the pin. And it worked the same way. Great stuff. Sometimes you you take all this for granted, but sometimes it's just amazing. Or maybe I'm just easily entertained. I'm not sure. No, no. And and iOS has really made sharing easy and and you know some of the social sharing with Twitter and Facebook and uh, yeah, those things maybe you're into maybe you're not, but but I I think that's one of the things they're working on is is just always increasing the sharing features. Even just the sharing buttons in the Mac OS now, like when you're in uh, Safari or you open a preview document, and they brought that stuff over from iOS where you can hit the little sharing button. I mean, my wife uses that all the time. She has to recently, she's working on a PC for some stuff and she was asking me, where's the sharing button? I don't understand. I'm like, well, that's only a Mac thing, honey. They're not, they don't have that on a PC yet. I wonder if there's a plugin she could get if she's using yeah. a better browser. I don't know, but it's pretty nice. You hit a button, you've got an email, you've got a tweet, whatever. It's great. Yeah. Well, Katie, we went long. We went long. We did. We did go long. So I'm sorry about that. Who would have thought we'd go almost... Two hours on syncing and sharing. Yeah, so the feedback gets put off again. Well, it's because you had to stick in all those Klingon craps. Uh, you're still mad about that, aren't I you? I am mad about that. Yeah. You, well, you have something feedback, against the Klingons. I, I don't have anything against the Klingons. I just, the fact that you know so much and are so embedded in the Klingon culture explains a lot of stuff that I was having a lot of trouble <laughs> figuring out. All right. And on and that now note. Now I understand. Now yeah. I understand. Yeah. It's okay. Uh, all right. And you can find links to everything that we talked about in this episode, including the picture of the bat left that I'm going to find and put in the show notes over at five. Why don't you just 
take a picture of yours. Yeah, I will take a picture of mine with, with like your bloody body next to it over at 5x5.tv <laughs> slash MPU slash 138 or at our completely redesigned and gorgeous new website at MacPowerUsers.com. You can also send us feedback to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com and you can find us on Twitter. We're at MacPowerUsers. Katie's at Katie Floyd. And I'm at Max Sparky. There you go. And uh, we will see you all next time. Bye.